It's time now for Spears on Sports with John Spears, presented by M&M Carnage. And now, here's Johnny. Ah, what are we going to do tonight? There's no football. Yeah, I mean, football for two more whole days. Welcome into the show, Spears on Sports, presented by M&M Carnage. John Spears in studio. It is Tuesday, September 13th. It was a glorious weekend of football. And I don't know what was better, college football weekend or pro football weekend. Because college was great. You had three Sun Belt teams beating Power 5 teams. You had the number six team in the country, Texas A&M, losing to Appalachian State. You had the number eight team in the country, Notre Dame, losing at home as well to Marshall. Alabama almost lost to Texas. Around here, Kentucky with an upset win. I guess it was an upset, although Mark Stoops might take offense to that over Florida. Louisville with a big win Friday night on the road. Definitely an upset at Central Florida. College football was great. And then the pros come along. And what happens every week is no matter how great the college football weekend is, the pro football weekend washes it away. It makes you forget about it a little bit. It makes you forget how great it was. Because NFL opening Sunday was great as well. Part of it is everybody's got a fantasy football team. You don't have fantasy football in college. If you do, you may seek help. You've got a problem. But you don't. You have fantasy football. I'm in a league. I was uh, just pinned to the TV on Sunday pinned to my phone, trying to figure out what I needed to win fantasy football. That's part of it. And then we had great games, concluding last night with another great game. Seattle 17, Denver 16. Uh, I'm going to talk about that game for a little while here because there's a lot going on there last night. Eminem Cartage Hotline is open, 384-1450, 502-384-1450, if you'd like to join in on the conversation. Thornton's text line open as always, 502-414-1450. Don't forget, Summer Cash Bash continues at Thornton's. Each week, one lucky Refreshing Wars member will win $10,000 all summer long with the grand prize of a 2022 Chevy Tahoe. I have no idea when summer ends, but this promotion is still going on. Two steps, open your Refreshing Rewards app. Step two is click on the Summer Cash Bash icon. That's all you got to do and you're entered to win. You can earn additional entries by... Purchasing select top brands like Mountain Dew 20-ounce bottles, hot dogs, large Doritos, Bud Light 12-packs, many, many more using your Refreshing Rewards card. That's Thornton's Summer Cash Bash. If you're not a Refreshing Rewards member, become one today. Text REWARDS to 80313. And hit me up on the Thornton's text line, 502-414-1450. It was a great game last night. But it didn't, it wasn't a well-played game. The atmosphere, the 12th man in Seattle, there's nothing like it. It was great. They booed Russell Wilson from the first time he came out on the field throughout the game, and they were loud. There were probably some cheers. There was probably some applause. He won a Super Bowl in Seattle. He took the uh, franchise to two Super Bowls. Obviously, Seahawk fan is still upset about the way the Game ended against the Patriots. Don't run Marshawn Lynch. They still have nightmares. The pass intercepted by Malcolm Butler of the Patriots 
and Tom Brady wins yet another Super Bowl. They're still upset about that. But that was play calling. That wasn't Russell Wilson. Yeah, he threw the pass, but Pete Carroll should have given the ball to Marshawn Lynch. We all know that. I was surprised at the booing before the game. Once the once the kickoff is made, the opening kickoff, then all bets are off. You're pulling for your team. You're trying to get under the skin of the opponent, and nobody does it better than Seattle Seahawks fan. Karma, was it karma last night? Russell Wilson comes back. We find out earlier in the week that Pete Carroll and the management of Seattle had tried to trade him to Cleveland when Cleveland had the number one pick. We'll give you Russell Wilson. We'll take the number one pick. They wanted Josh Allen who's now the, one of the best quarterbacks in the league in Buffalo for maybe the best team in the league. Cleveland said no. Cleveland didn't use the number one pick on Josh Allen. Ironically, they used it on Baker Mayfield. So Russ comes back last night, and maybe he shouldn't win. I don't know what the football gods are thinking. If I did, I'd be a lot wealthier. I have no idea what the football gods are thinking. Should we let Russ win in his comeback to Seattle? Or should we let the Seahawks win because they lost Russell Wilson Jr. the third, and now they're stuck with Drew Locke and Geno Smith? Geno Smith was great last night. He wasn't good. He was great. He was as good as he could be. He completed his first, I want to say, 15 passes last night. Geno Smith won the job in camp from Drew Locke. Drew Locke threw too many interceptions in the three-game tryout that was the preseason. Geno Smith was 23 of 28 last night, 195 yards and two touchdowns. Both Seattle touchdowns, the result of passes from Geno Smith. And both receivers, by the way, were wide open. He better not miss them. So the karma point of this is Russ comes back, Seattle still wins. Seattle's still not going to win more than seven games, although this is one, as a six-and-a-half-point dog, I thought they were going to lose. But the coaching, the new head coach in Denver is Nathaniel Hackett. And after the game, Russell Wilson said all the right things about his new coach. I supported the decision to go for a 64-yard field goal. If he wanted me to run a fourth down, fourth and five play and then call timeout, we would have done it that way. But I feel comfortable with the coach's decision. Now, there's a Read between the lines here. Read between the lines. Because what Russ is really saying is, yeah, we probably should have gone for it on fourth and five, tried to get the first down, then kicked a much shorter field goal. But I give him credit. He said all the right things about his brand-new coach. A 64-yard field goal attempt at the horn. Instead of running a play on fourth and five from the Seattle 47-yard line, trying to pick up five or more yards to set up a shorter field goal for Brandon McManus, who is usually money. Nobody's money from 64. Nobody. 60-yard Field goal attempts, they don't happen a lot, and when they do, they usually don't succeed. 14% of the time, according to the analytics, 14% of the time, 
he would have made that field goal. 42% of the time on fourth and five, Russell Wilson would have gotten the first down. Now, those are numbers. Those are analytics. I'm not a big analytics guy. A lot of times, end of the game, it's about feel for the game. By the way, I forgot to mention this. John Hale, Lexington Herald leader, will join me in about eight minutes. We'll talk about the U.K. win over Florida on Saturday. I should have should have led with that. That's Radio 101. Can we redo the show, Dave? Can we start from the beginning? No? Dave says no. All right. So John Hale will join me at the, in the second segment to talk Kentucky football. I was watching the game last night, and I was wondering what in the world is going on here. Why are they not calling that timeout with 35 seconds to go so that they can set a play up and Russ can try to get the first down get up, spike it, and then kick what would, in effect, have been, at worst, a 59-yard field goal. If they only get five yards on fourth and five, 59-yard field goal. If they don't get the first down, the game's over anyway. But 64-yard field goals, that's not what you want to do. Maybe if it's tied, you take a shot there. But 17-16, you're down, you can't try 64-yard field goal. Not in that situation. But... Part of the problem Denver had last night was self-inflicted. They fumbled twice inside the five-yard line, lost fumbles inside the five. They could not score in the red zone. It was brutal. It was tough to watch. And they had delay of game penalties over and over and over. Now, I don't know if this is Russ not getting his team set up quickly enough, the play not getting called into the helmet from the sideline quickly enough, This is a direct result, and Peyton Manning pointed this out. If you watch the Manning cast, I flip flip back and forth. I like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, but I love watching the Manning cast. It's all fun and games when the Mannings are on. Joe and Troy are serious, but they're also very entertaining. Peyton Manning brought this up. If you don't play any of your starters in the preseason, which Denver did not, They didn't want any injuries. They wanted everybody ready to go. Starters didn't play in the preseason. Three games, no starters, or very few starters. This is what happens in the first game of the season. This is what preseason is for. Get the kinks out. How many false starts did Denver have last night? How many delay of games did the Denver offense have last night? More than than is... uh, Socially acceptable. More than is ever expected. They had delays on back-to-back plays. That's hard to do. That's hard to do if you're trying to do it. And they weren't trying to do it. Two fumbles inside the five-yard line. Why? Because you haven't played preseason inside the five-yard line football. You've done it in practice. That's practice. You're going up against your teammates. They're not trying to kill you. The Seahawks are trying to kill you and keep you out of the end zone. Melvin Gordon fumbled. Javante Williams fumbled. Seattle got both recoveries. Not good. Peyton Manning said it right. These guys didn't play in the preseason, and they needed to. You got a brand-new quarterback here. You got a $250 million investment that you didn't play in the preseason because you don't want him to get hurt and you didn't trust him on fourth and five from the Seattle 47-yard line and opted to go for a 64-yard field goal. Nathaniel Hackett is a first-time head coach. 
first game he's ever been a head coach in in the National Football League. And it didn't go well for him. I get, as I said, I give Russell Wilson credit for having his coaches back, but I'd love to know what the conversation was on the sideline when Denver decided to call timeout with 20 seconds left and go for the field goal. Now that's when I did turn over to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, and look, they had first game jitters too. As they went to the camera in the booth, you could see Russell Wilson going to the sidelines taking his helmet off and going to the bench to watch the field goal attempt. They go up to the booth, and Troy and Joe are questioning why they waited so long to call the timeout because they're going to go for it on fourth down. No, they're not. I was yelling at the TV, Joe, Troy, look down on the field. The kicking team's ready to go. They're not going for it here. Troy looked very confused. They had trouble with the telestrator last night. New network, new problems, Troy joked. Telestrator's not working. He said it out loud, trying to get somebody in the truck to figure out that the Telestrator wasn't working. First game jitters. First game boo-boos. The broadcast team had it. The Broncos had it. The only people that didn't have it, it seemed, were the Seattle Seahawks and Geno Smith. No first game jitters for them. They deserved to win the football game. They stopped Denver when they had to. And again, they're not going to win a lot of games. I don't think Seattle gets the playoffs. But you know who's in first place in the NFC West right now, today, as we speak? Seattle Seahawks, 1-0. Arizona, San Francisco, and the Rams are all 0-1. Seattle's got a one-game lead in the NFC West, and my buddy John Lewis from WDRB is on cloud nine right now. Cloud nine. Poor clock management, turnovers, and a team that looked disjointed the entire night. They just looked disjointed the whole night. Great crowd in Seattle. Twelfth man is is a real thing. I thought they would cheer Russell before the game and boo him during the game. They booed him from start to finish. There were no cheers. Now, maybe it's too soon. I get that. This is the first game since he's left. This is not middle of the season, first season that he's left. This is not Peyton Manning when he came back to Indianapolis and it was a year and a half later and the Colts already had uh, Andrew Luck. Sure, you honor him. Sure, you have a video montage. This is Russell Wilson coming back the first game after he left and my quarterback is Geno Smith. Yeah, I'm not happy about that if I'm a Seahawk fan. I'm happy this morning because Geno Smith beat Russell Wilson. NFL is about injuries as well. We had plenty of injuries this weekend. The significant ones, of course, Dak Prescott had thumb surgery this morning or yesterday. Had thumb surgery yesterday. Uh, Out six to eight weeks. The Cowboys look like they're going to stick with Cooper Rush which tells me the Cowboys might be tanking for next year. T.J. Watt, edge rusher for the Steelers, got a second opinion. It's a partially torn pectoral muscle, which is painful. They tell him you can play, you know, we'll we'll let it heal for a while, no surgery, and then you play with as much pain as you can take until you can't take it anymore. 
well, he's a Watt. He's going to take the pain. But doesn't a partially torn pec turn into a fully torn pec before all is said and done? We'll see. And Jamal Adams of Seattle goes down last night with what appeared to be a serious quad injury. That defense was really good last night, but they need, they're going to need Jamal Adams in the future. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. John Hale will join me. Mike Trout's on a record pace again. And I'll tell you what to watch on TV tonight as well. You're listening to Spears on Sports, presented by Eminem Cartage on the Big X. Welcome back. Spears on Sports, presented by Eminem Cartage. John Spears in studio. Bats at St. Paul tonight. Winding down on the regular season of uh, AAA baseball, the Bats uh, in St. Paul, 8.07 first pitch tonight, 7.35 pregame right here on the Big X. Nick Curran will bring you all the action. First of a six-game series in St. Paul, Minnesota. I can't think of a better place to be in the middle of September. Let's go to the uh, M&M Cartage Hotline, bring in John Hale, Lexington Herald-Leader beat writer for UK football. How are you today, John? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing uh, great. Uh, not as good as Mark Stoops, though. Has uh, Kentucky football program ever been in a higher place than it is right now in our lifetime? Let's change it to our lifetime. Well, I mean, I guess if we're talking about sustained success, no. I, I, if we're talking about you know, an individual moment, I think you probably still can look at that uh, game day week in 2007 or maybe even last year when they were – uh, facing Georgia undefeated uh, with game day in Athens. So those two moments might still peak, but obviously yeah. those were kind of you know, fleeting. And, uh, and this, this year is just a, a continuation of last year. The 2007 thing did not uh, end up being sustainable. So certainly it, it feels like for the first time in our lifetimes, there's a, a real moment where Kentucky has established a legitimate you know contender in, in their division. And, uh, and you see reasons to think that it can last you know, longer than just a one-off couple weeks or whatever. My listeners understand that I don't do much research on this show. So I was, uh, <laughs> was going to ask you, what's John Calipari think about all this? But I decided to go to Twitter and check it on myself. He did congratulate Kentucky football and Coach Stoops. I would have thought it had been great if he put hashtag football school, just for fun. <laughs> just for fun, just to you know, kind of clear this, get, get past all of this, get it over with, and, and just say, hey, football school, I'm with you now. Uh, but Cal acknowledging this is is pretty cool, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, he didn't actually write that tweet. Oh, he sure, he somebody else. It's on his Twitter it. page, like, though. So, you know. yeah, he told somebody else to tweet it, uh, or somebody <laughs> ran it by him, and he at least approved it. So there's that. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think that in general, and you know, I have some issues with what Cal said in that interview in the Bahamas. Beyond the you know the basketball school comment, just some of his priorities there seemed completely off base. Um, but I think his track record over what 13 years here suggests that he is, um, he can be the biggest cheerleader for the rest of the program yeah. when he wants to be. And, and he is very adamant about doing those things. He shows up at the SEC tournament for the women last year when the, when they're in the finals and he's, uh, always rooting for some of the non-revenue sports. Uh, he certainly has been there in the past when Kentucky football has had big moments and has made sure to congratulate them publicly. And I think that part of it still continues. I mean, he even said in that interview, it's, it's good for them when football is good because, you know, it, it helps the rest of the department. That's all true. That being said, uh, his basic point 
you cannot listen to the whole thing without realizing that he is very frustrated about the fact that football keeps getting facility investments and yeah. he is not happy with this facility. That has not changed, I am certain. Uh, he would uh, he would say, yep, great. I uh, hope you win a national championship this year, Mark, but um, the next uh, bit of money still needs to go to me. That you know, He's not going to say that publicly. I think he's finally learned his lesson there for now. Uh, but I, I do think we've at least hit a point where uh, they can kind of coexist and move forward and, you know, everybody can be a little kumbaya for a while. Part of the, um, I guess, negative negative things about being such a uh, hot football coach is uh, your name for other jobs. You put an article on about four hours ago, it looks like, Kentucky.com, that says Mark Stoops is on a bunch of Nebraska coaching lists, but probably that's not the job he's looking for. Yeah, I mean, I think I tweeted it Sunday right after Scott Frost got fired that, you know, there was, I, I just can't imagine a scenario where that's the job that lures Mark Stoops away from Kentucky. Um, you know, they historically have a lot of success, obviously way more than Kentucky does, but it's not recent history. Kentucky's won 10 games twice since the last time that Nebraska won 10 games. They have four titles, but the last one was in 97. Uh, so it would be a rebuilding project there with no guarantee that you were going to, you know, reach the heights that it used to be. And so um, I'm not sure that's a better job than Kentucky right now. That being said, there are jobs out there, obviously, that you know, Mark Stoops would have to seriously consider if, if they pursue him in the offseason or whenever, and we can have those discussions when or if they open. Just with his contract and the investment they've made in football here and uh, where he has the program right now and where Nebraska is, that just doesn't make any sense to me. That has not stopped people from linking him to the yeah. job. And obviously a lot of national reporters are using the Calipari comments as a kind of justification. You want to go to a football school, here's one for you to go to. But when you take a step back and think about it a little more, that, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Let's go back to uh, talking to John Hale, Lexington Herald leader. Let's go back to Saturday's game. Not just the interception, but how important was it for Jordan Wright to be on the field for that defense? It's big. Um, I mean, I, I thought Alex Safari, the freshman nickelback, played really well in the opener, was maybe their best freshman, um, maybe on both sides of the ball, even with Barry on down, Brown uh, kickoff return. But against Anthony Richardson and his skills and his ability to make plays with his feet, it was really important that they have both those outside linebackers out there as much as possible. And so, you know, that part of it's huge just schematically. But then also Jordan is – an energy guy. He's a captain for a reason. He, you know, all his teammates after the game talked about how how much he helps them bring that energy level up. And uh, it was such a huge play in the moment because it felt like everything was going against Kentucky, and it felt like that moment where maybe it was going to spiral out of control. And then with one play, he basically put them right back in, in control of the game, and, and we know where it went from there. Kentucky's a, a program, and for years, if you snap a ball over the punter's head and he kicks it out of bounds, or you have a flubbed extra point attempt. Kentucky fan would, back in the day, not not that long ago, would say, oh, here we go again. That's just not the case anymore, is it? No, yeah, for sure. I mean, there were you you still have that PTSD or whatever. Yeah, exactly. watching So many years of bad football where you, where you have that fear, but then for them to respond so quickly and kind of right the ship and uh, make a huge play on an individual talent, um, it was big. And then you just take a step back and look, and it was pretty obvious. I mean, Florida was not going to score – unless they had a short field, just the way that defense was playing. And so yeah. uh, once the offense started getting it going a little bit in the second half and started finding some uh, success in the run game, you know, sticking with it, um, it felt like kind of a foregone conclusion, which is crazy to think, uh, given how dark things look for that brief stretch in the second quarter and how those things have historically gone for Kentucky. If I had told you Saturday morning 
Anthony Richards going to have four rushing yards and not get injured in this game, you would have said what? Crazy. I would have, no chance. <laughs> Certainly. I mean, I asked Brad White last week on Wednesday what the secret to stopping uh, Anthony Richard was. Jeff Richardson was kind of tongue-in-cheek, and, and he just said, I could say something clever, but, you know, there's just not anything clever. It's like a whole group effort. There's no one play or one uh, call or one player who can do it. And he kind of backed that up because they all just played so well. Uh, but I think even if you had asked him and Mark Stoops last week, um, okay, you can slow Anthony Richardson, but you're going to hold him to four rushing yards. They would have said no way, and so it's 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 crazy. I mean, I I think that game proved that all of the hype for Richardson's a little early. You know, yeah. he can still develop into a very good quarterback, but he's not you know Vince Young or Cam Newton right now uh, after one one big win. Uh, so we'll see how he does for the rest of the season, but um, we know he has the potential to make you know defenses really hurt and, and do things in Kentucky. May have given other teams the blueprint on how to slow them, or it may just be that they're just that good and they can do some things that other teams can't. I know Mark Stoops as a head coach has to be more stoic on the sidelines. Brad White didn't. He looked like he was having a ball. Yeah, he, he mentioned after the game that those are the games that are really fun to coach because you know everybody's all these guys are playing so well and he's doing uh, you know basically every call is, is going the right way and. They were clearly dominating, and, and they had. I mean, I think that that early tackle from Jacquez Jones on the Richardson uh, draw, where they thought they had an opening to maybe get in the end zone, he just immediately plugged that hole and stopped. And I think that kind of set a tone. And then the right interception, it was clear he was rattled after that. And I think everybody on that Kentucky defensive sideline knew that that they had their number and, and it was going to go really well. And so uh, it was fun to see Brad uh, show some of that emotion because he's not generally the most uh, emotive guy out there. So it was cool. Injury update. Uh, I know Geiger looked like it was a fairly serious injury. Uh, anybody else we need to know about? Yeah, I mean, Mark said yesterday they're still doing some more testing on Geiger, but I think it would be a surprise at this point if he plays again this season. We're just waiting for the official word there. Uh, Jatan McLean, who got hurt in the first week, the running back, uh, is week to week. And Mark, when we talked to him yesterday, he hadn't practiced yet, so he hadn't gotten an update there. But uh, it sounded like probably not this weekend. But um, other than those two guys, and, and obviously you know Ramon Jefferson, who's out for the year, um, it seems like they're they're doing okay. Talking to John Hale from the Lexington Herald-Leader. You can read his stuff uh, if you get the Herald-Leader, or you can do it online. Kentucky.com uh, is where you go for that. Uh, all right, we, the Chris Rodriguez stuff came out yesterday. He's going to be available for the Ole Miss game in three weeks. Um, do we know what the NCAA issue was? And if not, will we ever? Um, I mean, I think we know rumors as to what it is, but nothing that anyone – uh, that I've seen or myself has gotten nailed down enough to where we're comfortable reporting. Yeah. My gut is it does eventually uh, come out, whether Kentucky comments on it or confirms it or hides behind uh, privacy laws, uh, you know, student privacy issues. I, I don't know if they're ever going to come out and say, but I, I think that it probably the details uh, come out eventually, especially, you know, there were two national reports last week that the NCAA was involved as Kentucky, as long as they're relevant nationally, there are going to be more people uh, snooping around these things. So I, I think I think it comes out eventually, but um, not in a way that Kentucky is going to want. Probably social media, everything comes out nowadays, right? Yeah, I eventually. Mean, I mean, frankly, I mean, you can look on message boards and Twitter and stuff now, and, and the rumors are pretty all out there, pretty apparently uh, from people who are not you know actually reporting them, just talking about them. So. 
it's just it's circulated so widely at this point that it feels like inevitable that somebody's going to have to comment on it. It's going to be really interesting once Chris does play, whether they ever make him available for interviews this season, you know, how he handles that. I mean, Jordan Wright talked to us after the game, and, uh, you know, I asked him a few questions about uh, was he frustrated when he found out he was going to play, and, you know, he stuck to the company line. But eventually, you know, if, if Chris Rodriguez plays, the first question is going to be why weren't yeah. you playing and, and see how it goes from there. Absolutely. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit called the coach last night on the coach's show, right? Yeah, it's, it's always fun when they can uh, turn that into a um, – some celebration, I guess it keeps. Uh, you know, I, I I I think Mark probably prefers celebrities call in on the on the shows after they lose, so they don't have uh, more angry fans calling in. But uh, <laughs> it was a cool moment. I mean, Kirk has obviously been a Mark Stoops fan from day one. They're both Ohio guys; they have that connection. Um, but you know, it, it's it's more evidence that Kentucky's getting a ton of national respect right now. I was a little skeptical after they won Saturday, thinking the national narrative would be more about you know, anointed Florida too early. Maybe they're not actually that good and less about um, moving Kentucky up, but they're in the top 10 in both bowls now, which is really all you can ask for. Yeah, that's a big jump. They jump up to number nine in the AP poll. Uh, We've talked about Will Levis and how great he is in the offseason, how great he was last year, what to expect. But I mentioned this to you, I think, a few times ago when we talked. This is a a team built on defense, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, We'll see how the offense – how much more dynamic it looks when Rodriguez comes back, yeah. you know, how much of these kind of rushing problems right now are offensive line or running backs or a combination of both. I mean, I think the offensive line is just going to get better as they play more together over these next two games specifically. Uh, and obviously he'll make a huge deal there and, and Will's going to make all the plays, but the defense is, you know, it looks like they're truly elite at this point to do what they did in the swamp um, against an athlete, the caliber of Anthony Richardson, that's that's really good. And you know, preseason Brad White was throwing out comparisons to 2018, and he doesn't do that lightly. And we know that was yeah. arguably the best defense Kentucky's had since the 70s. You know, maybe since the 50s. Um, they don't have a national defensive player of the year like Josh Allen this year, but it it feels like the depth and the experience, and you know, the even the young talent guys like Deion Walker making that huge play late in the game. Um, they're they're built to to be really really good this year. Youngstown State noon start on Saturday. Do the coaches mention Texas A and M or Notre Dame or anything like that and say, "Hey, look, guys, this this win was great, but Youngstown's two and zero. They put up a lot of points. You got to be ready to go." Do they uh, do they mention some of the upsets that happened this weekend? Oh, I'm, I'm sure they will. I mean, I I think those lessons are probably more relevant next week when they play Northern Illinois, which is a pretty good MAC team versus the FCS team this week. Yeah. Uh, but I but they they will absolutely bring that up to their their players and talk about you know this is this is what happens when you you can look the other way and these teams were ranked in the top ten and and see what happened to them. So you know just because you won this big game doesn't mean you're here to stay. You've got to keep doing it every day and practice every week and practice as Mark says all the time anyway. But uh, I'm sure he is uh, relishing the opportunity to have that real tangible evidence to put in front of his guys this week. Here's here's how I think, how I believe that I know the program is at another level now. Two weeks Northern Illinois game is going to be a night game on ESPN two. This is not just an SEC network game. That that tells me a lot. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I haven't looked at the rest of the schedule. I know you love night games. What- yeah, what the other games are, and uh, certainly doesn't help me get much sleep. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's cool for the atmosphere. It's 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 nice to be on a, a national broadcast, so you know more people can watch it, more people can see this team. Um, 
you know, it's 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 a good moment for Kentucky all around. And and frankly, it helps that Northern Illinois is not bad by any means. They they were picked to win their division in the MAC, and they could be a team that's in the bowl conversation um, certainly uh, at the end of the year. So that 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 I think all puts it together really nicely. But um, I'll be I'll be really interested to see what that Ole Miss game, yeah. uh, what channel it gets picked up for, what time. I, I haven't looked to see you know if there's another obvious candidate for the CBS game. 3:30 game that week, but you would think they'd be in contention there, and um, and there are going to be a bunch of big games now. I mean, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Georgia, obviously Mississippi State, all those could be ranked opponents depending on how the next couple of weeks go. John, thanks for your time as always. Uh, continued success and uh, have fun Saturday. Thanks for having me, John Hale, Lexington Herald leader, beat writer for Kentucky football. I'll be interested to see if Cal shows up at what to watch tonight. We'll talk about that after the break. Listening to Spears on Sports presented by Eminem Cartage on the Big A. Welcome back. Spears on Sports presented by Eminem Cartage. John Spears in studio. Final segment of this Tuesday. Eminem Cartage Hotline is open, 502-384-1450 to join in on the conversation, 384-1450. Thornton's text line open as well, 502-414-1450. Get your text into that number, 414-1450. Day baseball today, Pirates Reds. I don't know why you'd want to be anywhere else. It's a day-night doubleheader in Cincinnati. The old businessman special 1235 first game. Followed by a 640 night game. So you go to Cincinnati, you watch the Reds and the Pirates, you go down to Montgomery Inn, get you some ribs, and then you come back and watch another Reds Pirates game. I know it's the Reds and the Pirates. By the way, scoreless in the bottom of the first in Cincinnati. Hey, if you missed the show or any of the show, you can always find us on Sound SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Just search WXVW1450. Radio and find the podcast. And you can listen to Spears on Sports at your leisure, along with all the other great shows on the Big X Kentucky Roll Call, the uh, Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison, and the Mike Rutherford Show, all available on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. I know you can't wait to listen to the show and then listen to the podcast so you can hear it again and see how many mistakes I made. One of which was giving you Denver minus six and a half last night. Seattle with the win, 17-16. Not an aesthetically pleasing game, but a very exciting game. So week one is over. The surprises in the NFL, well, the Bears won. The Giants won. Those are definitely surprises. No question about that. The NFC West is one and three, and the only winner was Seattle. That's a bit of a surprise. That's a bit of a surprise. The NFC East, everybody's 1-0 except the Dallas Cowboys. The Washington Commanders won their first game ever as the Commanders, and Carson Wentz threw four touchdown passes. Hello? Vikings beat the Packers. Now, that was in Minnesota. Aaron Rodgers is doing some sort of hallucinogenic drug overseas, and he doesn't have any receivers. The Lions are still the Lions. The Bears are tied for first at 1-0 in the NFC North with the Vikings. NFC South, Saints and Buccaneers take the early lead. Panthers and Falcons both lose. And I mentioned uh, Seahawks 
with a one-game lead after one week in the NFC West. This is all overreaction time still, okay? It's one game out of 17. But unlike baseball, it's not one game out of 162, and unlike basketball, it's not one game out of 82. It's one game out of 17 games. You don't want to start 0-2. You don't want to start 0-2. Historically, 0-2 does not make the playoffs. Now, that's changed since the format has changed, and there are more teams in the playoffs now. But traditionally, 0-2 is a death knell. I remember the Cowboys, uh, Emmett Smith was holding out. They started 0-2. He came back. Uh, they went on to win the Super Bowl. But that doesn't happen much. AFC, the Dolphins and Bills are both 1-0 in the East. The Jets, as expected, are 0-1. And the Patriots are 0-1. Bill Belichick has only lost to the same team four times in a row once, and it just happened, the Miami Dolphins. AFC North, Steelers with the overtime win over the Bengals. The Ravens and Browns are also 1-0. The defending AFC champion Bengals, 0-1. Again, don't overreact. Joe Burrow's not going to turn it over five times every week. The offensive line's going to get better, going to get more cohesive. The more they play together, he's not going to take seven sacks a week. And Evan McPherson's not going to miss extra points to win ballgames probably ever again. I know Ever's, Ever's a long time, but that's probably not going to happen again. AFC South. Well, nobody has a win, and two of these teams played each other, and nobody has a win. The Texans and the Colts are tied for first in the AFC South with records of 0-0-1. The Titans lost a game they should have won, and the Jaguars lost. AFC South fever. Catch it. Is it possible? Is it possible? And it is that everybody in the AFC South finishes under 500. And if so, don't you eliminate them from playoff contention? Don't you say, I know we're supposed to take the division winners, but if you're, uh, I got to do the math here, seven, nine, and one, we're not, and you win the division, we're not letting you into playoffs. We're going to pick another wildcard team. AFC West, Chargers 1-0. That's my Super Bowl winner. Chiefs 1-0, very impressive even without Tyreek Hill. Broncos 0-1, a game they probably should have won. And Raiders 0-1. They played defense well enough, but Derek Carr wasn't good enough. He and Devontae Adams were great, 141 yards in uh, ten, on 10 catches. But Darren Waller wasn't involved. The running game couldn't get going. Uh, Raiders may be a disappointment this year. All right, uh, I was teased you on what to watch tonight. Uh, there's no football. It's a sad day when there's no football. Tuesdays and Wednesdays are long when there's no football. And there's never football on Tuesday and Wednesday. I mean, we'll get some action later in the year in college football. But uh, I love Thursday night NFL. I love uh, Saturday college football, Sunday NFL. I don't love Friday night college football, but I tolerate it. And I will watch it. We, we'll get Tuesday night college football uh, from the MAC later in the year. But right now, here's what you got to watch tonight. 7 o'clock ESPN, Louisville at Kentucky Volleyball. There you go. Will Cal be at the Louisville-Kentucky Volleyball game tonight? 
I think Cal's out recruiting for basketball right now. But John Hale made the point that Cal supports all of the athletic programs at Kentucky, and his philosophy is if Kentucky football is good, that helps Kentucky basketball. I happen to agree with that. I happen to agree with that. If Kentucky football is doing well, believe it or not, it helps Kentucky basketball. Yes, it all goes hand in hand. But will Cal be at the Louisville-Kentucky volleyball game tonight? Will Mark Stoops be there? Will he tell his football team, hey, we're going to stop practice early. Let's get out to them and support the volleyball team. He should. I would. Why not give them a treat here? Right? Let's just take take the rest of practice off. Go get a shower. We're all going to meet, uh, have some dinner, and we're going to go over to a Memorial and watch the, watch the volleyball game. But UK U of L volleyball on the mothership tonight, ESPN, 7 o'clock. ACC basketball schedule comes out today, 2 o'clock. So I know Louisville fan, you know, look, you might not be looking forward to a great year, but you're always looking forward to basketball. Kentucky, Louisville, always looking forward to basketball. I know Indiana, same thing, and I know I don't talk about Indiana enough, but the Big Ten schedule came out last week. I didn't mention it, but I got it right here in front of me. I think Indiana got a really nice early draw. Keep in mind that this used to not be the case, but the Big Ten now plays two conference games for each team in the month of December, really, really early. And Indiana got Rutgers and Nebraska for their December games in basketball. December 3rd at Rutgers in Piscataway, New Jersey. December 7th, Nebraska at home. That's a pretty good early draw. I mean, Indiana's going to be one of the favorites in the Big Ten, I think. But you don't get Michigan State, and you don't get Ohio State, you don't get Purdue. Um, Even teams like Illinois, Maryland, you don't get them. You get Rutgers and Nebraska in December. That's a wonderful opportunity to start 2-0 in conference. And then January 8th is your next uh, or January 5th, I'm sorry, is your next uh, Big Ten game at Iowa, followed by Northwestern at home. So you don't play Michigan State till late January. You don't play Purdue till February. Uh, you play them twice in February. You don't play Michigan until February. So you got a shot here to get off to a great start. Ohio State, late January. Uh, if I'm if I'm uh, Indiana fan, I love this schedule. I love this Big Ten schedule because it is not as taxing as it could be. And Mike Woodson's got to be very happy with it. Baseball last night, Mike Trout hit a home run for the seventh game in a row. The major league record is eight. By the way, you may remember, and I don't like to bring it up that I picked the Angels against the Dodgers in the World Series this year in the, in the before the season started. Yeah, that's what I picked. Not going to shy away from it. Oh, the Angels. Artie Marino has got – now, he wants to sell the team. But he's got Shohei Otani. Every time he breaks a record, it's a record that Babe Ruth held, you know. Uh, 10 wins in a season as a pitcher and 20 home runs. Nobody's done it since. Babe Ruth. Every time you hear Shohei Otani 
Nobody's done it since. The answer is always Babe Ruth. And he's got Mike Trout, multiple-time MVP winner. And the Angels are 61-80. and Mike Trout has hit a home run in seven straight games. The Angels are 2-5 and five in those seven games. They lost to Cleveland last night, 5-4. to four. But Trout is trying to tie the record tonight in Cleveland. The record is eight. Dale Long of the Pirates back, back in the day did it. Don Mattingly did it in 87, and Ken Griffey Jr. did it in 1993. Eight, eight games in a row with a home run. Trout has seven. I don't even know what the pitching matchup is tonight, but I'll look. Jack Morris. Oh, it's not Jack Morris. I'm sorry. It is Cody Morris pitching for Cleveland tonight against Mike Trout and the Angels. <laughs> I feel bad for him. I feel bad for Mike Trout. He's in Los Angeles. But it's, again, I mentioned this last week. They should go back to being called the California Angels. Just go back to it. You're never going to be LA's team. It's always going to be the Dodgers. It's like the Clippers. It's always going to be the Lakers, number one. You're number two in LA. That's it. There's no argument. The Dodgers are number one. The Angels are number two. Go back to being the California Angels or the Anaheim Angels. Don't go back to being the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. That was asinine. Be the Anaheim Angels or be the California Angels and quit, quit attaching yourself to L.A. Because L.A. doesn't care about you. Mike Trout has played in Los Angeles his entire career. He's won MVPs, and you know what? Nobody pays any attention. It's a West Coast team. Most of the damage he does is after 10.30 Eastern time, and nobody notices. It's East Coast bias, yes. Aaron Judge, I see, I see every home run he hits. I do. I see every, every time he comes to the plate, if I'm watching baseball, I get an Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge highlight. Mike Trout, I'm asleep, man. I'm out. Bo Bichette hit a two-run homer last night after being brushed back, throwing his bat down, very irate. Went to first. It was ball four, and it almost hit him in the, in the noodle. And there was some jawing back and forth from Tampa Bay and Toronto's uh, benches. Nothing happened. But then Bichette comes up later in the eighth. It's a two-run homer. Toronto beats Tampa Bay. Three to two. Toronto leaps Tampa Bay now is a half game ahead of the Rays in the American League East. Toronto's five and a half behind the Yankees. Rays are six back. If that's a series, Toronto will be the home team as of right now. Now they play again today. In fact, they got a doubleheader today. So maybe Tampa sweeps and all of a sudden they've got a game and a half lead over Toronto. Those uh, they're playing in Toronto. Ah, baseball's great. Football's greater. I'll stand by that. Tony Burke joins me in studio tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Spears on Sports presented by Eminem Cartage on the Big X.